So good to see all of you again this morning. I was beginning to wonder where everybody was, but uh, it kind of filled in a little bit. There you go. Everybody's waving at me. Good to see you guys this morning. Good to have y'all. Uh, Pastor Darrell just came to me a minute ago. He uh, um, one uh, announcement that we didn't think of right off the bat. I tell you, when you get standing back here, all of that stuff's running through your head. Sometimes you can't remember everything, and I'm just as guilty as anybody. But uh, next week, uh, next Sunday morning, uh, we have Reverend Mike McVeigh that's coming to speak. He is a missionary, and um, we heard him speak at a meeting that we were at a few weeks ago over at Highlandville, and uh, you don't want to miss this guy. And um, about the best thing I can tell you is he is from somewhere in Southeast Asia. Okay, now he's, he's an American that's witnessing and, and ministering over in Southeast Asia. So you don't want to miss out on this, but uh, we, we don't know exactly where he is, and he won't tell you exactly where he is because of safety things and different kind of things from being overseas and all of that. So he's, he's a great speaker. I think you will enjoy everything that he has to say. So please come and support him next week as we uh, support his ministry as he's going out and doing that. And uh, so I think you'll enjoy that. Mike McVeigh is his name. And uh, he has a, a wife, and I can't remember how many kids. Five. Bless his heart. <laughs> I thought four was bad. Uh, five gives you a little more. But uh, yeah, come and, and join us next week for that. You don't want to miss out on Mike McVeigh. Um, also, I, I wanted to mention to our ladies who took part in putting all of this, y'all got to quit that. <laughs> Y'all gonna make? Well, I'll, t I'll tell you why. Just I donate, that. make it go away. Steve. Huh? Just donate, make it go away. Well, I did my part. <laughs> I um, uh, I, I got a. I told Van, I said I shouldn't have eaten the peanut butter fudge. I said, where I normally preach about thirty minutes, it might be one o'clock before we get out of here. <laughs> so uh, you know, anyway. But uh, I got some looks from y'all. I saw that. Yeah, so. Anyway, but no, it's it's uh, it's good. I, hopefully, we did well today. We'll continue that. We've made over two hundred dollars, and I'm not done selling. Yeah. Clear. Good job. Good job, and it's good stuff. I tell you. All right. Well, if if you haven't been with us over the, the last couple of months, um, what we've been doing, and I'll explain this again. I know we have some visitors that's here, maybe for the first time today. And um, on the first Sunday of every month, Pastor Darrell gives me an opportunity to preach, and I like to do that. So what we've been doing over the last couple of months is we have been, been doing a study on, I, I've called it Journey Through Faith, and you can see that there. We've been basing our scripture out of Hebrews chapter 11, and then we've been looking at some of, of the characters and doing some narratives on these characters that are part of what's called the, the Hebrews Hall of Faith. So uh, this, this morning we're going to continue that trend, and today will be uh, the last message on that, unless God moves it, you know, again before uh, next month. But what we're talking about today is uh, another one on um, Hebrews chapter 11. And, and I tell you, it feels like to me forever, it's been forever since I've gotten to speak. There were five Sundays in, in September. So it kind of threw me off a week. I was, you know, ready to kind of get things in gear for last week, and I had to, to, to wait. So but here we are, first Sunday of October, that's hard to believe. And we're finally getting a little bit of cool weather, so praise the Lord for that. But, uh, but anyway, just wanted to recap with you a little bit and tell you uh, what we've been studying over the last two sessions that we've had together. And talking about faith, faith is a very, a very broad subject. It's a very broad word. It's not something that can be narrowed down very easily. So just to recap what we've discovered is faith to us is not a sometime thing. 
We've discovered that that faith isn't just something that we experience maybe once or twice in a lifetime. We discovered that the faith isn't, faith isn't some sort of tool that we just reach for whenever we need a little bit of it. We've discovered that, that faith isn't any of these things really at all. Instead, faith in talking about, now listen, talking about true faith in Jesus Christ it's not a sometime thing. It's what? It is an all the time thing. True faith is a lifestyle. We've discovered that you, you can't just have only just a little bit of faith. You either have faith or you don't have faith. Then most importantly, we've discovered that we can't even be saved if we don't have faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot please God at all if we don't have faith in him. Another thing that we discovered here in Hebrews chapter 11, and I found this interesting how, how the, uh, the writer put this together. God used some really imperfect people to prove this point. These imperfect people ended up developing a, a, just a really strong sense of faith in him, but they also had to endure some really rough waters as they were developing that faith. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? I think it's the same with us because God is using us today, isn't he? And I, I'm the most imperfect of all. And I can tell you now that the waters have not always been smooth sailing in my life, having my faith tested time and time again. Well, last week we, we talked about an imperfect man. Last week, last month we talked about an imperfect man. Does anybody remember who we talked about? Who did we talk about? We talked about Moses. He was an imperfect man, an imperfect guy who developed a strong faith in him. This was the man that God had selected to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt because of all of the cruel bondage that was going on there with those folks. Moses wasn't much different from you and from me. He faced many difficulties in life. You think about his story, and I won't re-preach that, but you think about his story, where Moses started and where he ended up, where he came from, where he was going. He had trials. He had temptations. He had intense spiritual storms. Like us, he had flaws. He made his share of mistakes. But still God used him in a mighty way. He used the, the mighty miracle of, of parting the Red Sea to deliver his people from evil into goodness and into light and into safety. So this morning, we're going to dig just a little bit deeper. and We're going to conclude, hopefully, this, this series on journey through faith with a man named Abraham. So this morning, before we start with that, let's pray together. Thank you again, Lord, for this day. Uh, Father, we just uh, pray that you just move in a mighty way today as we uh, talk about this this man named Abraham, Father, who certainly had his faith tested and still stood the test of time through his faith in you. So, Lord, as we talk about this, we just ask again, Lord, through these old scriptures that we've heard time and time again, that you just breathe new life into it. Father, let us see it from eyes that we haven't seen it before, that we'll know, Father, that you're speaking to us through this Old Testament scripture. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. We ask you to move in a mighty way. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, <clears throat> if you haven't already. Got it. Hey, if you got it, say, I got it. <laughs> Hebrews, chapter 11, we're going to read together verses 8 through 12. 
All right. It says this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. <clears throat> By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with, with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, as he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. May God have the, re the, the, the blessing on the reading of his word this morning. Now when we talk about this, we talk about walking with God. If y'all hear a little something in my microphone, Keith, I got a fan up here. It's hot up here. So I put a fan so it might be blowing through here, so just forgive me for that. But as we walk through our daily lives, we should remember, we should realize every day that our faith is sometimes tested. You ever had your faith tested? Sure you have. Sometimes these tests are extremely hard. Sometimes there's just things that we don't understand. You know, why is this test, why is my faith, be, what did I do? Why is my faith being tested? What did I do to deserve such a test in my faith. Sometimes we may even want to ask, where are you, God? We may want to say something like, God, I'm just not feeling your presence right now. I know you're there, but you just seem so far away from me. You ever feel that way? We all do. That's part of being human. Sometimes we just don't recognize God. He's here. But we feel like sometimes he's way off over here somewhere because we just can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. If you're honest with yourself, you know exactly what I'm talking about. God, of course, is omniscient. There's a word for you. If you don't know what that means, join us on Wednesday nights. There's a little plug for you right there. We, we've started a, a, a study on the attributes of God on Wednesday nights. So if you, if you think you know who God is, great. Come on Wednesday night. We're going to tell you a little bit more about him and dig a little deeper into his attributes who he is, what he is about, and all of those things. And omniscient is one of those. He knows everything. That's what omniscient means. There's nothing that he doesn't know. He knows it all. He knows our every trial. He knows our every temptation. He knows our inner thoughts. He knows when we're lonely. He knows when we're separated from him. He knows the future, and he knows the past. You can't sneak up on him. There's nothing that he doesn't already know. As we spoke about this past Wednesday night, God is not limited by time. How many of us have problems with time? I do. Got to be somewhere at a certain time, rushing around, trying to get there. God is not limited by time at all. He is always with us. He never has something else to do. He never comes to me and says, hey, Steve, I hear you praying a little bit. Can you hold on a second? I'm listening over here. He never gives me that shut off. He always hears exactly what it is that I have to pray because he is timeless. He understands me. He sees me. He knows exactly what's going on in my life, and I don't have to utter a word. He's omniscient. He knows it all. We have his undivided attention every day, 24 hours a day. He is ours all the time. So listen to this. Here's a little something for you. God doesn't allow us to go through tests and trials, listen, 
so that he can see how well our faith responds under fire. Did you hear what I said? That's not the reason that he allows us to go through tests and trials. He already knows how our faith is going to respond. He's already got it. What he does is he prepares tests of our faith and allows trials and temptations to show us where we are in our faith development. Amen. Whether we pass, whether we fail, we learn a tremendous lesson about our own self through the tests we face, we learn where we need to improve. We discover how spiritually strong and mature that we've actually become. So this morning as we look at just a small part of Abraham's story, we're going to see that God's putting Abraham's faith to a tremendous test, just as ours is put to test at time. Abraham and Isaac by this time in the text, they had developed a wonderful father and son relationship. Abraham had spent time with his son. He was learning his habits. He was learning his tendencies. He was teaching him the things of life that he would need to know as he grew into adulthood. Isaac is estimated to have been a mid-teenager, somewhere around 15 years old. This would have made Abraham around 115 years old, by the way. This would have made Sarah around 100 years old, his mother. The Hebrews text that we read earlier has given us a small snapshot of what was happening to them at the time, but the book of Genesis gives us all the detail that we know about them, so let's go there. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read for a little while. We're going to read the first 13 verses. Genesis 22, 1 through 13. You get it? Say it, God. We got some got it's and a getting there. All right, let's read together. Do you have a copy of God's Word? Yes. Amen. I hope that you do. Yeah, hold it up. Let me see. If you've got God's Word, let me see. Amen. I like the phone ones too. Amen. That's good to see. And I, we put this on the screen every week, and that's good. But bring your copy of God's Word. Make sure that you're studying out of your own Bible. Let's read together. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. And I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up. He loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for his burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, 
God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld him, uh, withheld me from your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now after reading this several times, preparing for the day, I'm kind of struck by my own perspective of this story. Now you think about what's happening here. I mean, this is a real story. This isn't a fairy tale. This happened. This man was about to kill his own son because God told him to. Now think about my own perspective here. I think about God's command here. Just, it just sounds horrible. It really does. It just sounds to be just like a, a really cruel command. So I ask myself, why would God ask of Abraham something so cruel as to sacrificing his own son? It began with calling Abraham's name. In verse 2, God starts giving the instruction to sacrifice his son. Now, I can't help but think of Abraham. He was a human being. He was a father. He was a husband. He had feelings. He developed a, a really nice rapport with his son. Fifteen years, Isaac had lived. I don't know if they played ball in those days. I don't, I don't know if they played marbles or sticks or whatever it was, but, but surely he had developed a nice relationship with his own son of 15 years. They had a great rapport. He loved his son. He wanted him to carry on his legacy by continuing the family line. Each phrase of this instruction that we just read in Genesis 22 it just had to have, have just pierced Abraham's heart more and more with every word that he was hearing from God. Abraham was sure to have been emotionally distressed. Think of it this way. In this defining moment in Abraham's life, God told him to do something. He said it this way. He told him to take all of his future hopes through his son according to his covenant and surrender all of them on a wooden altar. Abraham must have been thinking, why must I give up my son? If Isaac is dead, how are we going to produce all of these descendants that are as numerous as the stars? Where is it going to come from? What about Sarah? How am I going to face her when I come back home with no Isaac? How will I explain to her and everyone else in the village what I've done? Abraham must have just agonized through this three-day trip to Moriah over this decision to obey the Lord. But we see no hesitation from him at all in the text. Zero. No hesitation. We see no delay whatsoever. All we see is the fact that even though this made no human sense, Abraham didn't argue. He didn't plead. He didn't say, Lord, oh no, Lord, not my son. 
Instead, we see complete obedience to the Lord. But Abraham was sure to have been devastated. But nowhere in this text do we see one word of hesitation. The text doesn't say anything at all about Abraham's feelings. We've been talking about what we can assume that he had. But there's nothing in the scripture that says that he had any feelings towards it whatsoever. But listen, we don't need Abraham's anguish spelled out to us to know what he was feeling. He was a father. Again, he was a husband. He loved his son of 15 years, but he simply obeyed and had faith in God. Verse 3 tells us that he got up early the next morning. God had given him the command. He gets up early the next morning. He prepared his donkey. He chose two of his servants. And he started splitting wood. He knew exactly what it was that he needed to complete this task that he had been given to by God. He was completely 100% prepared to make his journey. Abraham knew that preparation is an important part of being obedient to God. This is a wonderful lesson for all of us today, isn't it? It absolutely is. We should be completely 100% prepared for what it is that God has set forth for us. I think of our presence here in church on Sundays. I can tell everybody comes in looking nice. And you do. Everybody looks real good today. Pretty dresses, pretty suits. Look, got your hair combed. Those of us that have hair. But we look good. We look as if we're ready to have worship. But I ask you, are we? Are we 100% prepared to worship the Lord today when we walked in these doors? Have we prayed that the Lord will bless our service? Have we taken that time this week to say, God, Sunday's coming. I want the Holy Spirit to move Sunday. So Lord, I'm asking you right now, prepare me. I want to be the one that starts the Holy Spirit's movement on Sunday. Have I prepared myself? Have we prayed that, that the Lord will prepare our pastor and anoint every word that he says? Are we prepared asking the Lord to have his Holy Spirit move among us? There are many things that we can do to prepare for worship. We can prepare for service. We can prepare for giving. But are we obedient to God as Abraham was that day? I pray that we are all prepared 100% of the time to walk into God's house prepared for worship. Abraham and Isaac and the two servants set forth on their 45, 50 mile journey. It's about what this was by, by donkey and by on foot. This was about a three day journey. Well, on the third day, verses four through six, Tell us here that, that God lifted Abraham's eyes. Then he could see the destination in the distance. So what did he do? He, he told his two servants, he said, hey guys, y'all stay right here with the donkey. Don't let him get away. Y'all stay right here with the donkey. Isaac and I, we're going to go up to this spot that God told us to go to to worship. Now, I find this interesting. Abraham used a word at the end of verse 5 that speaks extremely loudly to me. He tells the servants, now listen, and look at your scripture, verse 5. He tells the script, he tells the, the servants this, he says, 
we will come back to you. Did you catch that? He took his son. He's going to kill him. But he said this. He said, hey guys, stay here with the donkey. We'll be back. We're coming back. That speaks very loud to me. That little word. And it's funny how one word can change the whole complexion of a whole story. But he said, we, he didn't say, I'm coming back. He said, we are coming back. That little word is an important term. We says that Abraham and Isaac were both going to return. Not just Abraham. He was bringing Isaac back with him. But he was supposed to be leading his own son Isaac to his demise. How could we be able to come back together? So I think Abraham, in his own heart, he kind of knew what nobody else knew. He was instructed to take his son and offer him as a sacrifice. So where did the, the Abraham's confidence that Isaac was coming back with him, where did that come from? Certainly it wasn't wishful thinking on his part. Certainly he wasn't just trying to confuse the two servants. On the other hand, there was no evidence whatsoever that, that Abraham knew that God would even provide a, a different sacrifice. He didn't realize and he didn't know that, that Isaac would go unharmed. So we really don't have any idea. The scripture doesn't tell us what was actually going on in Abraham's mind at this time. But now think about this. I think about Isaac. He had already played another part in a very big miracle in the Bible. When you think about his birth, he was born to his mother. She was 90 years old. But even more than that, she was barren. She wasn't supposed to have children at all. So at age 90, God blessed Abraham and Sarah with a pregnancy. And at 90 years old, Abraham being 100 years old at the time, can you imagine having a baby at that stage in your life? My goodness. Yeah, I'll just say this. I love it when the grandchildren come. I really do. But they go home with mom and dad. I just feed them all the sugary stuff and send them off. They get this little shade of green and it's time to go. So that's how this is, that's, that's a grandparent's prerogative, right? Isn't that how that's supposed to work? Some scholars that I've read on this subject say, though, that not only did, did Abraham think that there could be a substitute sacrifice, he also had thoughts according to this scholar. It's nothing in the word, but according to this scholar, that even though there had never been resurrections in the past, that maybe Abraham was thinking that Isaac would be resurrected from the dead. Don't know. But Isaac still doesn't know what's going on. Doesn't say. Doesn't say. I'd have been petrified. Maybe he was. Verse 6 goes on to say this. Abraham laid the wood for the sacrifice on his son. He himself carried the fire and the knife as they started forward to make the altar. Verse 7 indicates that Isaac did notice something a little different. He may have asked his father this way. He said, Dad, you know, I've got the wood, you've got the fire, you've got the knife, but 
I don't see a ram. So where's the ram? What are we fixing to go kill? How did he answer him? Verse 8 says, God will provide the ram for the lamb for the sacrifice. So verse 9 and 10 continues the story. Abraham bound him up. He put him on the altar of wood and he was ready to kill his own son. Notice also that, uh, and Holly, I even made a note of this. Notice also that there's nothing here in these verses that say Isaac resisted. He didn't argue with his father. He didn't say, hey, Dad, what are you doing? Dude, I have horns. And, you know, he, didn't, he didn't look at him and say anything about that at all. We should realize here that at any point during this awful horrendous, now listen, during this awful horrendous journey, at any point, God could have stopped Abraham. He could have said, wait just a minute. Stop. That's enough. I see that your faith is sufficient. But he didn't. He allowed Abraham to go through this entire ritual of preparing a sacrifice, including tying up his own son and placing him on top of this wooden altar. It was only when Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his own son that God spoke up. Verse 11 says that God spoke through an angel and called his name from heaven. And Abraham responded to him just as he did in verse 1 of that passage. And he said, here am I, or here I am, Lord. The angel told him, he said, do not harm Isaac. Don't lay a hand on him. Don't harm him. Now that I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son. Abraham's faith in, in God and his faithfulness in God had, had spared Isaac's life that day. As Abraham looked around, he, he saw a ram. He had his horns caught in a thicket. And listen, God had provided a substitute. Everybody say substitute. He had provided a substitute to die in place of Isaac. Now, folks, you must know this morning that I have never, ever witnessed myself the glory of God like Moses did at the Red Sea. I have never seen the nail wounds in Jesus' hands as Thomas did. I have never seen the Holy Spirit descending like a dove as the disciples did. I've never received a vision from heaven like John did. God has never tested my faith by telling me to take one of my own children's lives like he did with Abraham. But yet, I live my life by believing all of these things by faith in Jesus Christ. I, like Abraham, listen, I have banked my entire earthly life and my entire earthly destiny on these things that I have never seen because I trust and have faith in Jesus Christ. And so should you. Amen. Church, this morning, God has provided a sacrifice for all of us. Some 2,000 years ago, God sent his own son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice for us. Jesus was my substitute. He was my substitute in death. Jesus was your substitute in death. Jesus didn't just die for the whole world. He died for all of us individually. If it had been just me, he'd have still gone to the cross. If it had been just you, he still would have gone to the cross. 
He died a, a cruel death on an old wooden cross. Now I like that parallel. He laid Isaac on a wooden altar. Jesus died on a wooden cross. You think about those things. He lived a perfect life. He didn't deserve to die at all. He took what I deserve. He took what you deserve. And he took it willingly. Just as Abraham and Isaac were going to do that day. He took it willingly so that we wouldn't have to. His death paid for our sins even though we don't deserve it. There's an old song that I really like. and We sing it a lot around Easter time. It's called, When He Was on the Cross, I Was on His Mind. And I was. And so were you. We were all on His mind. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, we're going to give an invitation in just a few minutes. And I don't want you to leave here today with a question in your mind as to whether or not you're saved. Because Jesus, when he died on that old rugged cross, he did it to forgive us of our sin, to create a way that we could get to heaven eternally. Don't hesitate to come forward in just a minute when we talk about this, but... Pastor Darrell, we, we would love to, to share with you what it takes to be saved and how Jesus can be your Savior. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to ask you if you would. Would you stand, please? If you would just stand with me. I just feel led to do this today, and, and I'm going to ask you if you would. Just, just bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute. I'm going to ask you a question or two. Nobody's looking around. I'm the only one that can see you other than God. If you're here this morning, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have been saved, that Jesus Christ is your Lord, if you know this morning that if you died today that you'd be in the arms of Jesus, would you just lift your hand? Hands all over the house. Put your hands down. Thank you. Another question. If you couldn't raise your hand right then, then I'm assuming that you don't know Jesus as your Savior. But if you're here this morning and you would like to know Jesus as your Savior, and you would like to talk with someone about that, I'm going to ask you if you would just lift your hand. Nobody looking around. If you would just lift your hand. God bless you. Amen. Well, if you're here this morning, you have a loved one, you can look at me. If you have a loved one that is uh, dealing with not knowing Jesus as their Savior, and you know that, this morning we need to be in, in humble prayer just about them. Because there are many in all of our families that don't know Jesus. So let me encourage you to do that. Pastor, I'm going to ask you if you would come to receive anyone that would like to talk with you. Maybe you've been saved and maybe you've been a little backslidden and you'd like to, to rededicate your life this morning. The altar's open for that as well. You're welcome to come. Welcome to come talk with us about any need that you may have. But the altar's open. Let's uh, pray together this morning and then we'll sing together. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you do. We love you, Lord. We know that your Holy Spirit's present in our service today. 
So we just pray, Lord, that, uh, that he'll just move among us. And, Father, that you'll have your will in our invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a great song called The Savior is Waiting. And he is waiting this morning. So you come today and give it all to him. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. Why Christ and give you eternal life through Jesus. Pastor.